0: Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com death, dying, and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. I got my first dog when I was a junior in college. She was the cutest thing. I went to the pound with my then-girlfriend and just fell in love with this dumbass puppy who was so uncoordinated she couldn't even run around without tripping over her own paws. I couldn't resist. I adopted her right then over other, more coordinated puppies and named her Zelda. That was 13 years ago, and though the relationship with that woman didn't last, this damn dog really has held me through a lot of tough times. I'm dreading the age she starts showing her age. I have a feeling she's going to flame out quick, rather than get old slowly. All that really doesn't have too terribly much to do with this month's story, except for using it as an excuse to talk about my best bud. I mean, there's a dog in it, so there's that. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about a married couple, a surprise pregnancy, a dead dog, and an aquatic visitor. In egregore, a couple spends a weekend in a lakefront cabin in an attempt to save their marriage. Death and dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We're going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and art They had been together nearly eight years, married for five of those. They were both successful in their respective industries. Karen was a mid-level manager at a lifestyle and fitness brand. Andrew worked freelance for most of his career, designing everything from album covers for national bands to ad campaigns for major brands. They had bought a small house after they had married, and worked hard over the intervening years to make it their own. It felt like home to both of them, which they counted among their successes whenever tempers flared and they needed to inventory their relationship. They had a dog which they had rescued together a year before they had married. That exercise had gone poorly, Karen and Andrew each favoring different dogs and both remaining steadfast and stubborn in their choices. Karen fell in love with an older retriever named Max. Though they didn't know how old the dog was, they estimated it in the four-year-old to six-year-old range, and Karen knew the fates of older dogs that go unadopted. Andrew wanted a puppy and desperately wanted the only puppy in the entire pound, an unnamed eight-week-old mutt. They didn't even have a guess as to the breed of the puppy, but it was cute and cuddly, and that's what mattered to Andrew. Ultimately, someone made the decision for them, swooping in and adopting the puppy, while Andrew and Karen presented their cases to each other. The previous year of their marriage had been rocky. Each was focusing on their career far more than each other. They went days without having conversations that lasted longer than five minutes. They went even longer without having a meal together. In the rare event that Karen was at home during dinner time, Andrew usually opted to shovel leftovers into his mouth at his desk, in the guest room on the other side of the house. They were rarely intimate, but not so rarely that a surprise pregnancy didn't shake the foundation of their already crumbling relationship. Over the next few days, after a lengthy deconstruction by both of them, they resolved to take a long weekend, rent a cabin on the coast of Lake Michigan, and give their dying marriage the chance it probably deserved. The drive to the coast was always pleasant, provided the weather was good, and on this occasion it was. Big fluffy white clouds escorted their SUV along the country roads. They had made this drive often earlier in their relationship, though they hadn't been out this way for years. It brought back good memories of well-intentioned trips, trips that were meant for time on the water, boating, skiing, tubing. More often than not, though, they didn't leave the cabin. Karen, in the passenger seat, rested her head on the window and peered into the sky, spotting clouds that looked like a bear, a guitar, a birthday cake. She watched as they passed rolling farmland, fields of corn and too many cattle to count. Getting out of the city already felt good. Andrew, driving, tried to think of things to say to his wife, things to talk about, and he couldn't. Glancing over at Karen, he found himself feeling as though he was looking at a stranger. Who was this woman he had married? How did they get here? What kind of bizarre journey had he taken that he slept next to a woman he barely talked to? The only subject he wanted to broach at all was the pregnancy, and it seemed like the decent thing to do would be to wait until they had at least arrived. Andrew glanced in the rear view to get a look at Max, who was curled up and sleeping in the back seat. Andrew, Karen shouted. Andrew's eyes darted to the road in front of him in time to see the front of the car impact the doe. All four of its legs broke, and its body rolled up the hood past the windshield, and shot off the roof of the car. Andrew slammed on the brakes, pulled over to the side of the road, and put the car in park. Max stood up in the back of the car and began panting heavily. All three of them tried to catch their breath. Andrew broke the silence, muttering shit to himself while he threw the car into drive. Wait, what are you doing? Karen asked. Getting back on the road, Andrew said. You can't. We gotta go see, Karen said. It's dead. Going to look ain't gonna change that, Andrew said. He pulled back onto the highway. Karen, jaw slack, looked at the bright red stripe that now adorned the hood of their car and imagined how much worse the front of the car looked. She watched a small flap of bloody skin, stuck on something near the grill, flutter against the hood while Andrew got the car up to speed. And once he did, it ripped off and fell to the highway. She looked over at Andrew and suddenly felt the same way that he had just been feeling. Like she was sitting next to a stranger that she somehow found herself married to. They drove down those last few feet of dirt driveway, past the tree line, and arrived at the cabin. Tall and blue, like a small beacon in the green. The trees were so thick they couldn't see the neighboring cabins, though they had been assured that they were more than two acres away. Andrew got out of the car and retrieved the luggage from the trunk while Karen grabbed Max and their food for the weekend out of the back seat and surveyed the damage to the front of their car. It looked mostly that the car itself was saved of substantial damage, some dings and dents and scratches here and there, but all told pretty lucky. The non-permanent damage, however, was grisly. Blood was splashed across the entire front bumper, and there were still bits of viscera caught in the grill. Karen sighed while Max sat at her feet. Andrew circled the car to take a look with her and shook his head. Poor thing, he said under his breath. Yeah, Karen said. They walked inside. Walking through the front door, The first thing their eyes were drawn to were the large windows flanking the back door, overlooking the short path down to the lake. The cabin was deceptively large, which it owed mostly to the open floor plan. The bottom floor had no walls separating the kitchen, dining room, and living room. There was a narrow staircase that led up to the loft where there was a bed, and that was it. Karen leaned down and unclasped Max's leash, He hurried straight to the back window, where he sat watching squirrels run from one tree to another. Andrew unloaded the food into the fridge. Karen took their suitcase up the stairs to the loft and left it next to the bed. She sat down on the side of the bed to take her shoes off, but then didn't, and remained seated listening to Andrew unload the last of the grocery bags and close the refrigerator door. When he was done, Andrew gathered the plastic bags and put them in a nearby drawer, keeping one out for the moment and putting it in his pocket. He walked to Max's side at the back window and then opened the door for him. Following the dog outside, he closed the door behind him and watched Max take off after squirrels and birds and other small animals. Karen stood and walked over to the loft's railing, looking down and out the back windows to watch her husband watch their dog. Though they hadn't agreed to it, that evening they cooked dinner together and ate in near-total silence, but at the same table. Max paced around expecting scraps, and his patience was rewarded by a few slices of Karen's pork chop. How do you feel about it? Andrew asked, later, as they were sitting on the back porch after the sun had gone down. Andrew sipped a beer, and Karen, though she badly wanted one too, gulped down a sparkling water. The fluffy clouds from earlier in the day had moved on, leaving the sky clear and now shimmering with stars and a low, full, bright moon. The moonlight hit the surface of Lake Michigan and scattered against the surface ripples. The dewy leaves hanging low on the trees around them almost seemed to glow with celestial light. I don't know, she said. I honestly don't feel anything either way. I always assumed we'd have kids for what it's worth, but now, with both of us working so much... Yeah, right, with both of us working, Andrew said, trying to continue her thought. With both of us working so hard, I wonder if a baby fits, she said. Right, I mean, neither of us are really in a position to put our careers on pause for a kid, he said, echoing Karen. Sure, right, Karen said, but I'd like to hear what you're feeling about this. You were always the one that was sure about having kids. Yeah, I mean, I do want kids, Andrew said. I just don't know if I want them. Andrew trailed off. When he started that sentence, he didn't know how he would finish it. He was going to say, at this point in our lives, but that didn't feel right. He considered saying, with how empty our bank accounts are right now. He looked out onto the water, listening to the tiny waves lap at the shore. Max sat up scratched at his collar, and then laid back down at Karen's feet. Somewhere far off, an owl cried out. "'You don't know if you want them,' Karen repeated, trying to spur him to finish his statement. "'When he didn't finish it, she finished it for him. "'You don't know if you want them with me.' "'No, no, that's not—' "'Don't put words in my mouth. I'm capable of speaking for myself,' Andrew said." I've never said you weren't, and you don't have to get defensive, she said. Well, if I'm defensive, it's because you're speaking for me, he said. I'm not speaking for you. I'm trying to guess what you mean. You're not finishing your thoughts, she said. Well, that's not what I meant, and it feels bad that you'd think that, he said. Andrew, come on, she said. Come on, he asked. I don't want to keep this baby, Karen said. I know he said. And neither do you, right? She asked. He shook his head. Is our marriage over? He asked. I don't know, Karen said. But you're sure you don't want this baby with me? He asked. I don't fucking know, she said. What are you doing? What is this? I asked, He started to say before Karen continued why did we come out here? What was this supposed to prove? Our marriage has been over for a year or more. We're roommates who fuck each other every couple weeks, and now I'm pregnant, and that's not going to change that arrangement, and it would be foolish for you to think that it could. For me to think, Andrew repeated, and then stared into the night, fuming in silence. This is a thing Andrew always did during arguments with Karen, and she hated it more than anything else he did. Fine, she said, getting up from her seat and going back inside the cabin. Andrew stayed outside, grinding his teeth and watching the moonlight dance off the surface of the lake. Max rose to his feet and stared off into the night as well. The hair on the back of his neck rose, and he began a low growl. Something out there, bud? Andrew asked him. Max looked up at Andrew, then laid back down on the porch next to him. Karen was already up on the loft when Andrew slipped back inside. Max sprung up the stairs and joined her on the bed, but Andrew remained downstairs for several minutes, sitting on the couch and wondering whether he should just curl up there. Ultimately, he made the short trek up to the loft, cleaned himself up, and slipped into bed. There, he found Karen still awake. They had sex and then fell asleep without saying so much as goodnight to each other. Karen rose first the next morning, struggling against a feeling she knew too well, the dread and discomfort after a particularly troublesome day. She called them emotional hangovers, residue from high-intensity situations. She went downstairs and got a pot of coffee on. She glanced around the downstairs living area. Max had, at some point in the night, left the upstairs bed but she didn't see him down here. She checked behind the couch, under tables, all his usual hiding places. She even checked the tub in the downstairs bathroom, as he'd been known to hop into the tub at home if he got scared. But her search turned up nothing. She poured herself a cup of coffee and then made a show of filling his dish. Max, she said in a half whisper, aware that Andrew was still upstairs asleep. Max, are you hungry? He didn't come running as she expected he would. Karen checked the front door to make sure it was closed, and sure enough, it was closed and locked. She walked to the back door to do the same, and found it also closed and locked. She sipped her coffee, wondering where the damn dog could be hiding. By happenstance, she glanced down to the water, and five or so feet from the waterline, spite a heap of golden hair. She threw open the back door and rushed, barefoot, across the wet grass down the path to the lake. When she reached the lakeside, she screamed. Max, or what was left of him, lay crumpled, bloody, folded, mangled in the short grass of the shore. Andrew soon exploded out of the back door and hurried to Karen's side. What's going on? He trailed off as he arrived. Oh, Max. Oh, no, buddy. Karen, already sobbing, could barely get a word out. She repeated, what, 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 while Andrew knelt down beside Max's body. Looks like something got him, Andrew said. Poor, poor guy. he? Karen started to say. There are a lot of wild animals around here, Andrew said. No, howdy, Karen tried to continue. Max was getting up there. He's not as fast as he used to. Andrew, would you shut the fuck up for a second? Andrew fell silent. How'd he get out of the cabin? Karen asked. Well, he probably, Andrew started to say, I mean, I must have. I checked both the doors this morning. They were both shut tight and locked how to get out? I, uh, Andrew sputtered. Karen tried to wipe her face dry, but the tears rolling down her cheeks made that impossible. Andrew, unsure of what else to do, hugged her close. Karen fought her first instinct, to pull away, and rested her face in her husband's chest. Andrew, overcome by the loss of their dog in this episode of fleeting intimacy, started crying too. At their feet, Max's corpse started stirring, and something small and black and leathery and unseen by Andrew and Karen forced its way out of Max's ribcage and slithered into the blue water of the lake. When they had pulled themselves together, they discussed what to do with Max if they should leave the cabin when they had two more days to stay, and ultimately they decided that they would wrap Max in a sheet, pack up, and drive back home that afternoon. Burying Max in the backyard of their own home would be the most comforting thing for the both of them. Karen went inside the cabin to find some sheets, leaving Andrew with Max to fend off any scavengers that might try to feed on the dog's body. She checked downstairs first, in any closet or cabinet that might make sense to store linens. When she didn't find any downstairs, she headed to the loft and searched up there, too. She found the linens in a chest in the corner of the room, and took one white sheet for their purposes. Back on the first floor of the cabin, she scribbled a quick note, explaining the situation, and assuring the people they rented the cabin from that they'd pay them back for the sheet. Then she left her number. Karen took a deep breath when she was done writing the note. The calm way she'd been able to act since that first cry surprised her, but she was also proud. Proud of herself and proud of Andrew, too, and the way they were handling this together. She brought the sheet outside. Andrew was crouched down next to Max. Karen placed the sheet next to the dog, and Andrew looked up at her and smiled. I'll start packing, okay? Karen said. Andrew nodded, and she left him. She spent 15 minutes gathering their things and packing, then sipped a glass of water for a while to calm her nerves. Then, she looked out of the large rear window of the cottage. Down the hill toward the water, she saw Andrew standing still and looking at a large object bobbing in the water 30 feet from the shoreline. It had the appearance of an oversized black trash bag, maybe ten feet in diameter, full to bursting with who knows what, slick with lake water splashing with each rolling wave. Karen opened the back door. Max's body was still laying at Andrew's feet, and the sheet was still folded on the ground nearby. She rushed over to Andrew. Andrew, she said, what is that? Andrew turned to look at her, his eyes narrowed, brow furrowed, and mouth curled into a frown. Why don't you want to keep it, he asked her. What? Karen asked, not quite sure what he meant, but then a flood of realization washed over her, and she couldn't quite believe what he was saying, now, in this moment, with their dead dog at his feet. We talked about this she said, tightening her lips across her teeth. Behind Andrew, the black object rose out of the water several feet. The leathery membrane surrounding it quivered and stretched against whatever horrors lay inside. We should go, he said, looking back at the giant mass in the water and then down at Max. Oh, you want to go now? Karen asked. I've always wanted to go, he said. The object was now almost completely out of the water. It stretched and squashed and trembled as it rose up out of the choppy surface of Lake Michigan. It made Karen angry. No, you fucking haven't, she said, spitting. Don't you start your bullshit now. What bullshit, he said, suddenly mirroring her tone. His face turned red. I'm not on any bullshit. I'm not the one who wants to end things with us. The floating menace, now at least ten feet above the surface of the lake, began to change course, not only heading up, but toward the couple and their dead dog. Its leathery exterior began to wrinkle and sag down, drooping like an upside-down raindrop. Karen burst into tears. I don't understand why you're doing this, she said. Oh, and now you get to cry, of course. This is the part of the conversation where Karen gets to be upset and everything has to stop until she's okay, Andrew said. But he felt a lump in his throat forming, too, and found his voice faltering. Tears streamed down his cheeks, and he did his best to hide them from Karen. The interloper there, floating gently overhead, began to shower the couple and Max's body with the lake water dripping off of it. They both looked upward to see the bottom of the bulbous monster peel away like a zipper opening on a sleeping bag. Large hunks of black rubber, chunks of tires and inner tubes showered down around them. As each hit the ground, each plopped and jiggled, and when a piece hit Karen in the shoulder, it stuck like glue. She screamed as it burned her skin, whether because it was hot or because it was caustic, she couldn't tell. Soon, there were multiple pieces of sticky rubber attached to both Karen and Andrew, burning holes clean through their bodies. They screamed in agony. When the owners of the property arrived several days later to clean up for their next guests, They found Karen's note first, but then they found their suitcase at the back door, and when they went down to the lake, they found Max's body picked over by scavengers and a single folded sheet. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, and Justin Buskey. The story, Edgar Gore, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music inspired the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Lake Michigan and Bags of Trash. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows. They're fantastic new episodes the second thursday of every month this has been death dying and other things and i've been your host justin busty stay out of the shadows